And with that, I remind us of our mission. You're wondering what Cross Point Baptist is all about. Our mission is about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want people to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to be redeemed, to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, and just to live their life for him. We're going to continue in our series that we've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. If you've ever wondered, hey, what's Romans about? about how God makes bad men good. It's also called, I call it the imputed righteousness of Christ. I didn't come up with that tagline. Some great theologian did. I'm just saying what he did. So if you would, open your Bible to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning. A message I'm calling the benefits of faith. Well, back when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to believers in Rome. And he wanted everyone to know their need for salvation. Paul was, was, knew that there was a need to convince the vast majority of people that they're not right with God. Could you ever imagine that people need to know that? That they're not right with God? That 2,000 years ago, there were people that were unaware of their sinfulness and they didn't know that they needed to be told they needed to be saved. Crazy, right? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote the rank pagan sinner. He wrote them to let them know that there is a God. And they know there's a God. Because God put a, a, a knowledge of himself in them. We call it the conscience. That anyone can look inward and we know there's a God. But we can also look outward. And we can look at the stars and the sun and the moon and the birds and everything that creeps on the ground. We know there's a God whether we want to admit it or not. And thus, everybody is accountable to God because we all know. In Romans chapter 2, Paul let all the religious people know that the religion saves no one. Paul told the Jewish readers that they do not keep the law. They do not keep the commandments. And what they're trying to do is worthless. No amount of Sabbath keeping, no amount of hand washing, no amount of festival observance can ever save anyone. And the same is true today. That no one is saved by going to church. No one is saved by getting baptized. No one is saved by keeping the law because Paul says no one keeps the law. And again, it was true 2,000 years ago and is true today. And then we get to Romans chapter 3. And Paul kind of sums up what he said in Romans chapter two, 1 and 2 by saying that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All turn aside together and become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then Paul makes this case for salvation or justification as a gift of God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't that we just are saved by simply believing God exists, because the truth is everybody believes God exists, whether they want to admit it or not. So it takes more than just a belief in a God. Okay? What justifies an individual is when they place saving faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And when that is accepted personally, that's when God gives a gift and it is the gift of his own righteousness. You see, there's some people that think they get to heaven because they're a good person. I, I spent a whole week in Mexico convincing people that they're not good. <laughs> That's how most people thought they got to heaven. In fact, I would walk up to somebody and I said, you know, where I'm from, most people think they're going to heaven because they're a good person. 
The problem is, Jesus said, no one is good but God. You know what that means? That means God gets into heaven, but only him. If we were good, then God would let us into heaven based off his goodness. The problem is, we're not good. What we need is the very righteousness of God so that we can measure up to God's goodness. And Paul said that only comes by a gift, by, uh, as a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. Read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. The word of God says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty cut and dry, right? That's a very black and white verse. With Jesus, life. Without Jesus, no life. Well, then we come to Romans chapter 4. And it's like the Apostle Paul was anticipating uh, the, the, these, these Jewish individuals getting all bowed up because of what he said in the previous chapters. It's like Paul knew these people were going to say, how dare you, Paul? How dare you? You are undermining the Jewish faith with, when you preach this salvation by faith soteriology. That's a fancy church word to say how you're saved. Um, to say that we're not saved by simply being Jewish, you're undermining the faith. It's almost like they said, you know what, Paul? Prove it. You say we're not saved by being Jewish, then prove it. And so in chapter 4, Paul says, okay, look at Abraham. The Jews called Abraham grandpa because he was the father of their faith. The problem is there is no spiritual grandchildren. There's only spiritual children, and that's it. Well, the question we should ask is, how was Abraham saved? Well, Paul, in Romans chapter 4, he quotes Genesis excuse me, 15, verse 6, when he says, and he meaning Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Paul essentially says, you want to know how anybody gets saved? Look at your Jewish poster child by the name of Abraham, who was declared righteous. And so he's saying no one is saved by keeping the law because the law wasn't even invented for several centuries after Abraham. And then he adds on that that no one is saved by keeping the ceremonial laws because Abraham was declared righteous before this law was ever written. And then Abraham was declared righteous 13 years before he was ever circumcised. What Paul is saying that there's no ritual that could ever save anyone. There's no act that anyone can do that can make them right in the eyes of God. It's only by faith. It's a gift of faith. That's it. But now we come to Romans chapter 5. And Paul wants us to know that there's benefits. That there's actually benefits to this whole salvation by faith thing. Did you know there's benefits to salvation by faith? I would say salvation, that's number one. That's like top of my list. I, I, I really, really like that one. Say I, I'm in love with that one. That when an individual is saved, when they are declared righteous, they are made immediately fit for heaven. That's benefit number one. But you know it doesn't stop there? Read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not uh, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter's saying there's this inexpressible joy that you, that you have just not even seeing Christ, but yet you have faith in Christ. So Peter says, well, there's joy in salvation, right? Have you not been in a rejoicing mood lately? Well, maybe this is something you need to revisit to, to really, you know, try to grasp and understand the glory of what Jesus has done for a believer. And with that, let's jump into our text today in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my first point for this morning. Point number one. Faith in Christ brings peace with God. So the first benefit that a believer has from being justified, that, 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 that word again that I keep using over and over, it means to declare or pronounce righteous. We have peace with God. Have you ever heard a non-believer say something along the lines of, Oh, you Christians, you just all think you're so righteous. Anybody heard that? I've heard it. Well, the truth is, yeah, I do believe I'm righteous. And it's nothing in me that makes me righteous. It is, it is totally because of, of, of the righteousness of Christ. You see, it's the righteousness of Christ that brings peace with God. Did you know that unbelievers are not at peace with God? In fact, the Bible says that an unbeliever is at war with God. And that can be hard for an unbeliever to grasp, but a lack of faith in Jesus Christ is proof that they are not a friend of God. I heard a story of two Jewish brothers, and they were having this argument oh, for years and years and years. Finally, they went to their rabbi, and, and they were trying to settle this dispute. And with a lot of counseling and a lot of prayer, finally the rabbi got the two brothers to settle their dispute. And as they were about to leave, the rabbi said, hey, I want you two to make a wish for each other in celebration of Jewish New Year. We don't believe in wishes, but they do, but whatever. And so one of the brothers turned to the other and said, hey, I wish for you what you would wish for me. And to that, the second brother said, see, he's always starting things up. Come on, that was funny. You can laugh. Thank you, Tad. Thank you. You see, we are sinners at our very core. The, the, that, that is who we are. And even though most of us in this room today, we, we claim to be Christians, we are still sinners. Justification does not mean that God is unaware of our sins. It just means despite of our sinfulness, God still treats us as though we were not sinners. Even though we are unrighteous and even though we are wicked God treats a believer as though they were as righteous and pure as he is himself. The question somebody's bound to ask is, how is that possible? Well, I hope you've been with us through this series through the book of Romans. But God is willing to declare an individual righteous because of what his son has done. And it happens because when the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins. That there is a sin debt that we have incurred from being sinners in the first place. And Jesus paid it all. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior by faith, God gives us the righteousness of Christ. Read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It says, and for our sake he made him to be sin." 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, justification does not mean that we are perfect, but it means that God sees us as if we were perfect. Imagine, if you will, that there's a man that's on trial for murder. It's a heinous act of murder. And the prosecution knows the man is guilty. And the defendant, he knows he's guilty. And the judge, he knows that he is guilty. But then the jury finds him not guilty. So what happens is even though everybody in the courtroom knows the man is guilty, he's treated like an innocent person because he's been declared innocent. You see, it's the verdict that matters. So when I stand before the Lord, I know I'm guilty. The devil, he knows that I'm guilty, and God knows that I'm guilty. However, because I place saving faith in Jesus Christ, God will treat me as though I'm innocent. Why? Because he has justified me. The judge will deliver the verdict of justified. And that fact, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, it brings me peace. I want everyone know to know that the law condemns, but through faith we have peace with God. Did you know there's people that think that if we keep the law, that will bring peace with God? That if you do everything God wants you to do, if you cross all the T's and you dot all the I's, then that will bring you into the right relationship and you'll have peace with God. That if, if I do this, then God will do that. Do you see how that's a transactional relationship? How would that work in a marriage? I have my wife here, and if I tell her, you know what, if you have dinner ready for me when I come home, then I will love you. If the house is clean when I get home, then I will love you. How's that going to go? Bad. You, got, you guessed right. That's going to go real bad for me. But our relationship is not going to be spectacular. That is not what God wants. He wants faith. And when I place faith in the Son, God makes peace. According to Paul, salvation brings with it peace with God. And the truth of this is that our little pea brains can't handle this, this side of heaven. I don't think we fully comprehend what that means. But you see, every lost person is an enemy of God. But when that lost person turns to Jesus by faith... God declares an end to the hostilities. That that means the war's over. God is the one that declares peace. He brings that person to a right relationship with himself. And when we trust Jesus by faith, that person enjoys immediate peace with God. What does that mean? Well, I think it means at least three things. It probably means a million different things, but I want to share three with you. Number one thing it means, it means God's wrath is turned away. Read in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So when we place faith in Jesus Christ, God's wrath is turned away from us. Here's the second thing it means. It means heaven is satisfied. Read in 1 John 2, verse 2. It says he, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Not only ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Faith satisfies heaven. And here's the third thing it means. It means that enemies are reconciled. Read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. 
It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There's an expression I've heard many times over the year, and the expression goes like this, about making peace with God. Have you ever heard that statement? I heard a story of a very elderly believer. He was passing away, on, he's on his deathbed, and a friend of his went to him and was talking with him and said, Hey, have you made peace with God? And the believer said, No. No, I haven't. And his friend said, you, you must make peace with God. Don't you understand it's very dangerous to die in your sins, not making peace with God? And the dying man said, but how can I make peace with God? My Lord Jesus made peace with me 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross for all of my sins. And since then, I place faith in him. I've had peace with God ever since. You see, this man understood the truth of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Let's read it. And it says, and through him to be reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, we don't make peace with God. He made peace with us through the cross. And now what's left for us to do? We must accept it. We must appropriate. And when we do that, we are given peace with God. Now, 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 we must accept that. And when we do, I mean, just, God just, he says he ends the war. But this is the very first permanent benefit that every single child of God receives at the moment of salvation. We are accepted by God and we have peace with God, but it doesn't end there. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two. Faith in Christ brings hope of the glory of God. Let me flesh this out. Let me ask this question. How is anyone justified? The answer is very clearly by faith. Meaning we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. All we did is we took God at his word concerning the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And God justifies us by faith. And when we do this, we will be able to stand. Do you see that word in verse number two? It says stand. It is the Greek word histomy. And it means to cause a person to keep its place. You know, I, I've seen quite a few illusionists under the days. I, there's this trick that some illusionists will do. They'll take some kind of contraption that looks like a guillotine, and they're going to slam it down and cut something in half. And, and for effect, what they do is they open it up, they put a pencil in or a hot dog in, and then when they slam it down, you know, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be cut in two. And then what they do is they open it back up, there's a little sleight of hand. We didn't see it, but they, they disengage the blade and they put their finger in and all there's, if you've seen it, there's a lot of tension. They slam it down and whenever that happens, I flinch. I can't take it. But the illusionist doesn't flinch, right? Because he's in on the trick. He, know, he knows for knows for knows what's going to happen, right? That's a believer. It's, it's this, this knowledge of God makes a stand. I got to say, there's no sleight of hand. There's no trick, Right? We stand because we've obtained access into the grace of God. And I'm so grateful that my salvation right now, it's a, it's a product of faith alone. Because if it required for me to perform, I'm done. 
right? It's if, if salvation was, was gained by works, well, then I would lose it by works. But salvation is a gift by faith. So we can't lose salvation by anything we do. If it required me to keep a list of rules perfectly, I blew it about five minutes into this thing, right? If it required me to be a good person, I'm lost because I'm not a good person. But thank God it's by faith. And because, it's by, it, it, because this is by faith, it's the catalyst for rejoicing in the Lord. That, and a believer rejoices in the hope of glory of God. Read verse 2 again of Romans chapter 5. He says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three, faith in Christ brings access to God. This verse teaches us that through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, when we place faith in him, we have direct access to God himself. The word access in that verse, it means entering the presence of a king. That means through Jesus Christ, we can access God the Father. And it's not through Mary, it's not through some saints, it's not through your pastor, it's through your faith in Jesus Christ. You have direct access to God. I heard a story that took place during the American Civil War. And there was a soldier, he's a private in the Northern Army. He received word that his wife was sick and she was going to die. So she, he asked his commanding officer for, for leave and so he could be with his wife at her deathbed as she passed away and his request was denied. Since he was stationed close to Washington, D.C., he, he wrote a letter and he took it to, tried to get an audience with Abraham Lincoln. So he went to the White House with his letter in his hand and he went there and he was again rejected. Knowing there was no hope. He left the White House and went to the Rose Garden and sat on a bench and just began to cry. And he began to sob so heavily, heavily he couldn't even like hardly talk. And then a little boy came into the Rose Garden and said, Mister, why are you crying? And the man couldn't even, couldn't even speak, so he just handed the little boy a letter. And the little boy opened the letter and he read it and said, follow me. And the little boy left the Rose Garden heading right for the White House. And the private just followed. And as he approached the White House, there was two guards there. And when the little boy approached, they stepped aside. And he went right into the White House. He went down a hall, right towards the office of the president, opened the door of the, uh, the president's office, right in the middle of the cabinet meeting. And the moment that little boy stepped into the office, the meeting stopped. And the little boy walked right up to President Lincoln and said, Dad! Read this. To that, President Lincoln read the letter, then wrote a note that said, let this man pass. It is Jesus that gets us to the Father. We have direct access, this blessing through faith. We have direct access to God the Father only because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We have to recognize that this was a radical idea to, to the people in Paul's day. I mean, think about the temple for a moment. If you go to Jerusalem, there was the temple mount. And at that time, there was a temple there. And there was, there was different courts that you could only go so far, right? There, there was the court of the Gentiles. That was the outermost court. And only, that, as far as Gentiles could go was right there. And beyond that was the court of the women. And only Jewish women could go there. 
Beyond that court was the court of Israel, and only Jewish men could go there. And beyond that was the holy place. Only the priests were allowed to go there. And that was only to perform their priestly duties. And beyond that was the holies of holies. And only the high priest, only once a year could the high priest enter that place. And it had to be with the the blood of an innocent animal. And so what the temple said was very clear. Keep your distance, right? But but, But that all changed with Jesus Christ. Because today we don't keep our distance. We have obtained access by faith into his grace. So Paul's message is that through Jesus Christ, we have full access to the Father of heaven. This is what I want you to know. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, it says, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but except through me. Jesus is not only a way, but he is the only way. It's not like the father allowed his son to be tortured for hours and then nailed to a cross and died so that we could choose option B. That's not what happened. There is no other way to the father except through Jesus. But here's a point I don't want anybody to miss. The believer possesses the assurance of salvation. Not only is there peace with God and access to, to God, but a believer, is, it's, we can enjoy this deep-seated assurance salvation. Do you know that a believer can know for no, for no, that we're, that we're going to heaven when this thing's all over? Some call it the perseverance of the saints. Some call it once saved, always saved. But this, the eternal security of a believer is not something that the vast majority of Christians hold to. There's so many that believe, well, I can gain salvation and then something happens and I lose my salvation. Then I have to do something to gain it all over again. The people that think like this will often laugh or make fun of a believer that says, no, this, this is eternal salvation. If you think that God saved, and the way they think this, they'll, they'll think, well, you know what? If you think that eternal security, that will lead to loose living. And I'm going to cover this when we get to Romans chapter 6. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. But here I'm just going to quickly sum it up for you this way. No way. In fact, that's essentially what Paul says in the coming chapter. No way. If you think that God saved you from your sins and essentially wrote a blank check for, for your sins so that you can go and you can send it up all you want, then you don't understand the grace of God. Okay? The price was paid. And, and Paul was talking about, if you remember in the previous chapters, uh, the above and beyond asking price for a slave was purchased with the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. If you understand that, that should cause a believer to want to live a life free from sin. Not that we will never sin again, because we will, but there should be a deep-seated desire to never sin. And this whole process we're going to cover in the coming chapters. But our security in Christ should leave a believer to lead a clean, holy life, a life of gratitude for the one who paid the, the ultimate price for salvation in the first place. And so according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we are saved or we are justified by faith, meaning it's a gift. We didn't earn it. We, we, we didn't buy it. As salvation is given and as a gift. And then if that's true, then we, verse 2 says we're able to stand, meaning firmly affixed by grace. 
In other words, it was faith that saves a soul and his grace that keeps a soul. To say that you're saved by trusting in Jesus and then after that we have to keep our salvation, that's a total contradiction. If I can keep myself saved, well, why didn't I just go ahead and get myself saved to begin with? The answer is I can't do either one. I was saved by grace and I'm kept by grace. Read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, who by God's power are being guarded. That word guarded is a military term. Stand at attention, posted up. And who's there? By God's power, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the, at the last time. So not only is salvation totally by God, but our eternal security is totally by God. I'll say it like this. It's all by God. I'm saved by God. I'm kept by God. The only part I did was the sinning. Paul's going to explain this in great detail in Romans chapter 8, but let me just go two verses here. Romans 8, 33 and 34. The word of God says, Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemned? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us all. This verse teaches that the highest court in the universe declared a believer to be justified. What court is going to overturn that verdict? The answer, there is none. Despite overwhelming evidence of eternal salvation, there's always someone that wants to ask, well, what about this? What about that? Well, regardless of the ifs or that's, let me tell you that the child of God is secure in Jesus Christ. But during my time in, in ministry, I've, I've heard countless questions, but I've, I've got four here I want to share with you. Here's probably the, the, the fourth most common question I've ever heard. What if I deny God? People ask that question. What if I deny God? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, it's God that declares us righteous, and he's not going to overrule himself. What God has said, he says, that one's mine. I've got him, and, and I'm not going to change my mind. That's what God is saying. Do we need to talk about the apostle Peter? He denied Jesus three times, and yet he didn't lose his salvation. Here's the second. Here's another question I heard. What if I can't hold out? Have you heard that one? What if I can't hold out? Look in Jude chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So I don't keep my salvation. God is the keeper of my salvation. He's promised that he's going to present me blameless in the day of judgment. Here's another one. What if I wasn't enough? In the darkness of night, have you ever asked yourself that? What if I'm not enough? This is what Jesus said about that in John 6, verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, once you be given, it's a done deal. I'm going to put my faith in the words of Jesus Christ rather than the, the thinking of men. Here's the one, just one more, and I probably have heard this one more than any other. And the question goes like this, what if I walk away? 
Look what Jesus said about that in John chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I am so glad this morning that my salvation is guaranteed by the father's strength and not of my own. If it was my strength, I would have failed, but not the father. God is greater than all. And he said, and when it's all said and done, the father made a promise to the son that believers will be given when this life is over. And then there's some people that say, hey, what about, I've got some what ifs. I've got some what ifs. You know what? I've got the what ifs. What if we stopped looking for a, for a reason to, to, to not believe and just, and just took the Lord at his word? What if we believe that the same God is powerful enough to save us out of that mire of hell, is able to keep our salvation in the day of judgment? What if we just believe that eternal meant eternal? What if we believe that everlasting life meant everlasting life? What if we just rejoiced in salvation that we have in him and rested in the blessed assurance that is ours by faith? What if we stopped looking for a reason to doubt God and just took God at his word? Here's the bottom line that I want you to know, that we can have absolute assurance that there could come a moment one one day when we close our eyes in death and the next moment open and be face to face with Jesus Christ if we place saving faith in what he did for us on the cross. Before we get to the last point, there's one more point and I'm gonna close this service. I want you to know, hurts in this life are universal. That pain and suffering in this life happen to everybody. And I don't usually do this, but if would you play along with me? Placate me just a little bit. If you've ever had that thing happen to you that hurts so bad that you can barely breathe, if you had that thing that, that something came into your life and the emotional grief, you're at the ceiling and you don't think you'll ever be right again, could you just raise your hand and keep it up, please? If you've hurt so bad, you're like, I will never be the same and this hurts so bad. Now just look around. Look at all the hands up. I know what we're talking about. <laughs> Thank you. My point is it happens to all of us. Pain and suffering happens to everybody in this life. But Paul says there's something unique that's only available to believers. Paul mentioned it right here in this next verse. Read to me, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Here's my fourth and final point for us this morning. Point number four, faith in Christ brings the ability to rejoice during the darkest times. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't know how an unbeliever gets through a situation like that without Jesus? You heard that? I have. But I know how they get through. I know how unbelievers get through those situations. I've had to counsel somebody years after the fact that some very bad choices were made. People sleep around. People drink a lot. People do drugs. People spend money they don't have. It's all an attempt to mitigate pain. People will do anything not to feel of pain. In fact, just basically ruin their lives. Paul says that a Christian can rejoice during the worst times in life. Why? 
There's a little word in verse number three. Maybe you should underline it. It's the word knowing. When trials come crashing down, a true believer knows that God is working out all things in our life. And it's all an attempt to produce a state of Christ-likeness in us. Here's the long and short of it. God's trying to make us more like Jesus. I want to share a verse with you. If you've been a Christian like five or six weeks, I bet you've heard this verse, okay? It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Read, read it with me. It says, and we know that those who, for, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul does not say that all things are good. Because some things are very clearly bad. But, but Paul says all things are being worked out for good for, for the believers. Now, we all know verse 28, right? That's like a life verse for so many. What does verse 29 say? Read Romans chapter nine, 8, verse 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. So what is the purpose for terrible circumstances happening in the life of a believer? Make us more like Jesus, right? It, it, and you know what? I just want to be honest here. It's painful. It is terribly painful to become more like Jesus. It, does anybody like it? No, nobody likes this. There, the, in verse 3, there, the word suffering that Paul uses, it could be translated as pressure. There are times that this life will exert pressure on a believer, and it takes pressure to produce Christ-likeness. And you, did you know it takes pressure to turn coal into a diamond? This pressure in the life of a believer that forces out more of that old sinful nature and reveals more of the image of Christ. And Paul tells us the benefits that's derived from suffering in this life. If you still have your Bibles open, notice the progression of these verses. Paul says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So suffering produces endurance. The word for endurance, it could be translated as patience. Has anybody ever prayed for patience? Yeah, we all have. If you pray for patience, get ready, because God doesn't give you patience. He teaches you patience through suffering. And endurance or patience produces character. Who doesn't want to be a man or a woman of character? I think we all want to be, have character, and character produces hope. The word hope, it means confident expectation of eternal salvation. Hope does not put us to shame, right? Basically, what Paul is saying, that when trouble comes into the life of a believer, as a result of our walk with the Lord, we can learn to endure, and through endurance, we mature, and our character is improved. And then we can see God sustain us through the difficult times, and we can rest in the deep-seated knowledge that He's in control, and He's the one that's going to see us through. To say it plainly, here, here it is, the more we endure for Jesus the more we become like Jesus. Maybe you can write this down. Here's a good note to have. The road to maturity is paved with struggles. Did you know that? The road to maturity is paved with struggles. I mean, look at a lot of the examples in the Bible. If you asked Abraham about this, he would point to Mount Moriah. If you asked a man, Joseph, about this, he would point to an Egyptian tomb. Ask Moses about this, and he would point to the backside of the desert. 
Ask three young Hebrew boys about this, they would point to a fiery furnace. Ask Daniel about this, and he would point to the mouth of a lion's den. Ask Peter about this, and he would point to three denials. Ask the apostle John about this, and he would point to an island of Patmos. You see, any believer that's traveled very far with Jesus can tell you that God's blessings are poured out in a bitter cup. I've had times in my life, like cancer, like the loss of a child. I would never choose that for myself. And if God said, hey, John, you want to do it again? I'd say, no, God, please. I can't do it again. But I know those trials have absolutely redirected my life and have changed the Christian man who I am. Did I like it? No, I didn't like it. Would I want to do it again? No. But I now understand those things have made me more like Jesus. And here's the truth. My life's not over. I got a long ways to go before I'm like Jesus, so I should absolutely expect some more trials to come into my life because God the Father wants me to be more like his son. And I'm not done yet. And if life's going to be difficult, and if there's going to be troubles in life, how can I rejoice? That's what you're sitting there. Pastor John, you said we can rejoice. How can we rejoice? Because I don't feel like rejoicing sometimes. The answer comes in the last half of verse 5. Paul tells us the love of God is like this vast river that he's pouring into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, the Father gives you the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity comes to reside in your life. He's going to be there for you during the darkest days. When we face trials, the Holy Spirit's going to guide us and prompt us and pick us up and keep us going. Let me say it like this. God, the Holy Spirit, makes this trip bearable. He makes the destination something we can get to. If we'd only learn to rest and lean on the Spirit of God, He has the power to keep our hearts in perfect peace, regardless of how difficult the circumstance is. Read in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. Can you read it there? Who keeps us? God keeps us in perfect peace, because we trust in you, God. You know what? There's so many benefits that come from faith. Eternal salvation, a future in heaven with Christ for all eternity. But also right here in the right now, salvation makes living in this fallen world worth living. Why does this world seem so dark? Why are so many people choosing to harm themselves? Because they need to know Jesus. God makes this life in this fallen world worth living. I want you to know that Jesus is available if you come to him by faith. See, the first step, recognize you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. But God loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ on this rescue mission to pay for your sins, to die in your place. He was buried in a tomb and then rose again on the third day. Then if you call on the name of the Lord, as Paul will say in the 10th chapter, you will be saved. If you've never called on Christ, I would beg you to do that now. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I give you my life. Save me, Lord. I pray this name of Jesus Christ. Amen.